Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Monday, November 20th. I'm Hannah Floor. Petersburg's tribe, the Petersburg Indian Association, is hoping to develop a subdivision for tribal citizens and the general public. Petersburg Borough's Planning Commission voted unanimously last week to recommend that the borough sell nearly eight acres of its land to the tribe. The recommendation comes amid a housing shortage in Petersburg. KFSK has more. In a survey conducted earlier this year, the borough's housing task force found the town will need more than 300 new or refurbished homes in Petersburg over the next decade. Petersburg Indian Association Council President Chris Morrison told the Planning Commission that the tribe is looking at long-term development of rental properties. Something to keep in mind is that these um, lots are not going to be developed overnight, and we the council will have to develop a plan for what is done where. We have to get infrastructure in, and then we have to get building funds, and we may be looking at 20, 30 years. But, she says, the first units could be moved and ready within five years or so. The subdivision could include somewhere between 40 and 60 units, depending on the mix of single-family homes and duplexes. And there is the possibility of a couple single-story apartment buildings for the elderly and those with mobility issues. The rentals will likely include some affordable housing units. They would be available to all, but tribal citizens would have preference. PIA plans to use federal stimulus money to install sewer, water, and electric lines within the next year. That infrastructure would make the project shovel-ready and eligible for capital grants. The land sits on either side of North 8th Street and straddles a popular walking trail that connects downtown Petersburg with the ball field and whale observatory. Morrison told the commission that the plan leaves the trail in borough ownership. It does carve out where the trail is because PIA is not interested in owning the land where that trail is. We want that to remain in borough hands. The PIA council has not approved a design for the subdivision, but Morrison stressed that the development would blend in with the area around it. To have it a very nice neighborhood feel. And when you drive through, it's not going to be startling. The borough assembly will vote on whether to move forward with the land sale at their December 4th meeting. If they decide to do so, they will then vote on whether to sell the land by public auction or directly to the tribe. Each decision requires only one vote to move forward. If the sale is made directly to the tribe, it will be up to the assembly to decide whether borough manager Steve Giesbrecht should negotiate a price below the assessed value. At a meeting in early June, the Assembly passed an ordinance adding federally recognized tribes to the list of entities that can buy borough property for less than its assessed value if they can prove they'll use the land for public good. In August, the borough sold PIA a small parcel of land on 12th Street for about 15 percent below its assessed value, voting unanimously in favor of the move. In Petersburg, I'm Hannah Floor. Petersburg's Borough Assembly will set a price for a piece of borough-owned tidelands at its meeting tonight, which starts at 6 p.m. in Assembly Chambers. This summer, the owners of Weekend Enterprises Incorporated, a diesel engine repair facility, applied to buy the land beneath their business from the borough. The Assembly set a new precedent by allowing the sale of leased tideland property to move forward. In August, they directed borough manager Steve Giesbrecht to begin negotiations with Weekend Enterprises. The parcel of land was appraised at $100,000, and manager Giesbrecht has proposed to sell the land for $154,000. Weekend Enterprises made a counteroffer of $83,000.
The Assembly will decide whether they'll confirm or adjust the price proposed by Manager Giesbrecht at tonight's meeting. The Assembly will decide whether they will send Governor Dunleavy a letter of support for Petersburg Medical Center's request for funds for a new hospital. PMC is requesting $37 million from the governor's 2025 capital budget, which would go towards constructing the main building of the new facility. Next year, the Petersburg Borough will be entitled to two voting member seats and two alternate seats on the Southeast Alaska Power Agency Board of Directors. At tonight's meeting, the Assembly will appoint those members to the board. The borough received letters of interest from Assemblymember Bob Lynn and Utility Director Carl Hagerman, requesting that they remain in their voting member seats. The borough also received a letter from Mayor Mark Jensen requesting an alternate member seat, as well as one from Assemblymember Thomas Fine-Walsh, who expressed interest in either a voting or alternate member seat. Again, the Assembly will hold its regular meeting at 6 p.m. tonight in Assembly Chambers. KFSK will broadcast the meeting live and post the recordings on our website, kfsk.org. Anyone from the community can join the meeting in person, by phone, or on Zoom. There's more information on KFSK's community calendar at kfsk.org. And coming up today at 1230, right after Midday Magazine, we will have Borough Business. That's a call-in show with Assembly members. And you can call in and add your questions or comments to the conversation at 907-772-3808. That, again, is at 1230. Tenneke Springs City Council voted earlier this month to formally oppose a bill that would allocate some federal forest land to landless tribes in Southeast. The so-called landless bill would create new corporations and transfer federal land to Alaska Natives in Ketchikan, Wrangell, Petersburg, Haines, and Tenneke Springs. Meredith Reddick reports from Sitka. In a special council meeting, Tenneke residents expressed concerns around conservation and public access to land that would be privatized and potentially developed if the bill passes. Community member Molly Kemp said she was frustrated that the bill does not include proposed protections for other federal lands near Tenneke, which residents had pushed for. What's on the table is the reality that no one is given an inch on what Tenneke has asked for. And this is, they're talking about this bill passing in its current condition, the exact same thing we've been opposing for decades. Others were concerned about the lack of clarity around the potential corporation's shareholders. Councilmember Craig Mapes wondered who the shareholders of a corporation in Tenneke would be. Tenneke has the smallest Alaska Native population out of the five communities. You know, it looks like a two-family two corporation. Tenneke is not the first community to raise questions about the bill. Petersburg has also been divided over the issue with questions about land access and conservation. Councilmember Rudy Zeal said regardless of amendments, he doesn't support privatizing public lands. I mean, I personally will never support taking public lands and giving them to a corporation. I mean, I wouldn't do it for for BP, I wouldn't do it for Weyerhaeuser, I wouldn't do it for Greenpeace. Regardless of, of what the end results are, I think that, that uh, public lands should remain public. The final resolution states that the city of Tenneke Springs is, quote, adamantly opposed to the bill and that they will, quote, work diligently to see that it is not passed until adequate conservation measures are included. The resolution was unanimously approved. In Sitka, I'm Meredith Reddick. 
Last month, scientists from around the state gathered in Anchorage for the Cook Inlet Water Quality Summit. The summit, which highlighted water quality research and restoration efforts, included a presentation about how invasive northern pike can colonize new freshwater bodies via the inlet. While the discovery raises concerns, scientists say the Kenai Peninsula is currently pike-free. Hunter Morrison reports from Kenai. Northern pike, an invasive species of fish, have been eradicated on the Kenai Peninsula, according to the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. The species, which are native to interior and western Alaska, were illegally introduced to the Kenai Peninsula by fishermen in the 1970s. Northern pike pose threats to native species in the region, including salmon. They thrive in slow-moving waters and can grow their populations quickly, dominating other species and causing permanent changes to ecosystems. Invasive species biologist Christine Dunker is involved in eradication efforts on the peninsula, which began in 2008. In terms of eradication, getting rid of all of the pike in a population, um, the priority really has been eradicating them from the Kenai Peninsula, which, as far as we know, is now the case. All known populations have been removed. In 2019, pike were discovered in Vogel Lake at the northern tip of the Kenai Peninsula. Before then, they had only been identified in lakes accessible by car. Research following the discovery indicates that pike can use Cook Inlet to travel between freshwater ecosystems. After the discovery was made, Fish and Game added a weir near Vogel Lake to prevent northern pike in Cook Inlet from entering the body. Scientists say pike are most likely entering the inlet by way of the Susitna River. Invasive species biologist Parker Bradley says northern pike were eradicated from Vogel Lake and the Kenai Peninsula in 2021. We've eradicated pike from a total of 28 water bodies in South Central and of those, 21 have been on the Kenai Peninsula. Now that northern pike are utilizing the inlet, the focus has shifted to prevention on the peninsula, which includes education and enforcement efforts. Eradication efforts of northern pike are still underway in the Matanuska susitna borough, which scientists say is more difficult. Fish and Game asks anyone who catches an invasive pike to report it and retain the fish when possible. You can report your findings on Fish and Game's website or by dialing 1-877-INVASIVE without the letter E. In Kenai, I'm Hunter Morrison. Lieutenant Governor Nancy Dahlstrom announced last week that she's running for Alaska's sole seat in the U.S. House of Representatives, challenging Congresswoman Mary Peltola. In an email announcing her run, Dahlstrom talked about her support for the military and veterans, incarceration of violent criminals, and resource development. The email stressed her enthusiasm for taking on President Biden and liberals, who she says have launched an attack on Alaska and are, quote, ruining our future. Her campaign did not respond to a request seeking an interview. Dahlstrom has had a varied political life that spans more than 20 years. She served in the State House, representing an Anchorage district. She served in the administration of Governor Sean Parnell, and she was Governor Mike Dunleavy's Commissioner of Corrections. She resigned as Commissioner to be Dunleavy's running mate last year. Dahlstrom is Paltola's second Republican challenger after Nick Begich III announced his candidacy. Peltola is running for a second full term and has more than 
$1 million in her campaign account. Alaskans who want or need to change health insurance are able to choose plans until January 15th during the Affordable Care Act's open enrollment period. The Affordable Care Act provides sliding scale subsidies that can help people pay for insurance. Jennifer Brandt works for United Way of Matsu as a healthcare navigator. That means she helps people figure out what insurance plans might fit their or their family's needs. It's assistance that's free to Alaskans. She says it can help to talk to someone who knows the details of insurance plans in the state. Health insurance can be very confusing. And I can tell you not having it can be very expensive. If you get yourself in a situation, let's say that you break your leg and you don't have health insurance, and you are going to take a hit, a big hit on your finances. Having health insurance is having financial stability, in my opinion. Brandt says Alaska has one of the highest costs for health care in the country and insurance premiums in the state are rising next year. Another emerging concern is that many Alaskans are losing Medicaid coverage this year because a pandemic freeze on disenrollment has ended. Brandt says United Way healthcare navigators can help those eligible for Medicaid or those losing their coverage. The people losing Medicaid coverage have an extended timeline to save up for new health care, to sign up for new health care. They have until July of 2024, but if they want to avoid a gap in coverage, they can apply to a new plan up to two months before their Medicaid coverage ends. Brandt says generally most people can find a plan for under $10 a month with subsidies, and she says even people happy with their current plan should check to see if it will change next year. I worked with somebody yesterday. Her plan was $17 a month, came in this year at $256 a month found her a better plan for $9 a month, and the co-payments were cheaper. Alaskans who want new insurance to start January 1st need to pick a plan by December 15th, but the marketplace will be open until January 15th. Alaskans can get help with insurance choices by calling 211, by reaching out to their local clinic, or by going to 211.org. Well, thanks for joining me for Midday Magazine.